بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حق حمده والصلاة والسلام على محمد رسوله وعبده وعلى آله وأصحابه من بعده السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته My name is Um Abdullah and welcome back to uh, Miss Women and our class on the beginning of guidance Alhamdulillah we have been enabled by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala together again alhamdulillah to study the work of imam ghazali may allah have mercy on him always and to uh, benefit inshallah from the commentary of imam al-jawi uh, who was one of the great scholars of mecca um, in the last uh, century or rather in the the late uh, 19th century and alhamdulillah it's a really great opportunity that we have to be able to look at the works of these great scholars and we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving us that chance uh, again this week, alhamdulillah. So inshallah, let's um, get into our class today as there is a lot to cover. And we will begin as is our normal practice with the dua of Imam Haddad, uh, rahimahullah. So uh, I will read the Arabic and uh, you can follow that or read the English inshallah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nawaitu ta'alama wa ta'alim wa tadhakura wa tadhkir wa nafa' wal intifa' wal ifada wal istifada wal hatha ala tamassuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa dua ilal huda wa dalalata ala al khair ibtigha'a wajahillahi wa maradatihi wa kurbihi wa thawabihi subhanahu wa ta'ala So today inshallah we will be looking at the second part of the second section So last week we finished the class on the seven limbs and protecting and guarding ourselves against transgressions um, which can be uh, performed by the limbs and today we are beginning the next section on the sins of the heart and so it's important for us to remember that uh, sins actually and when we say sin I mean sin sort of comes from a a uh, orientalist or a um, Christian influence type of language and so in Islam or in Arabic then we have the word itham or thumb these are the types of words that we use to describe transgressions um, dhulam is another one which is a word for oppression oppression in English doesn't really give the full meaning of dhulam um, there's a lot of English words which don't really do justice to the Arabic meanings and because they don't encompass everything that those words mean but basically what we're looking at is ways in which people transgress against themselves either outwardly through the limbs or inwardly through transgressions of the heart and so Imam al-Ghazali gives us in this text anyway in the beginning of guidance he points out the main three uh, that we need to be aware of and as we will come to in the text uh, where he says that if it is that you haven't been able to overcome those then you're basically going to have a really hard time trying to overcome any of the other sins of the heart or blameworthy states of the heart um, because your uh, journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where inshallah you want to meet him when your time comes with a qalbin salim with a heart that is sound it will be your journey towards that purification will be severely impeded uh, by your lack 
of being able to deal with your lower self and your lower qualities. So uh, that's what he's pointing to here, inshallah. So um, let's read that. So this section is called Al-Qawl Fi Ma'asi Al-Qalb. So it's a, a word or a section on the sins of the heart. Know that the blameworthy qualities of the soul are many, that the purification of the heart from its vices is a lengthy process and that the way of curing it of these vices is hard to comprehend. The knowledge and action of this treatment have altogether disappeared because of people's inattention to their own souls and their preoccupation with the adornments of this world. We have dealt comprehensively with all this in our work, the revival of the religious sciences, the Hialumuddin, in that quarter on the destructive vices and the quarter on the salvatory virtues. So as you know, Mama Ghazali's magnum opus, the Hialumuddin, is comprised of four sections. Each section has in it 10 different books. And the third section uh, comprises all the destructive vices. Uh, which is all the sins outwardly and inwardly and then the last section deals with the salvatory virtues so the types of qualities that a person needs to adorn themselves with so the third section is on tahlia which is ridding oneself of blameworthy qualities and the fourth section is on tahlia which is on adorning oneself so tahlia and tahlia the only difference there is the dot on that second letter there's either a ha or a ha okay so let's have a look at what imam ujawi tells us about that because he does go into a bit of detail on what imam ghazali says in the ihya so all this now what he's uh, presenting to us comes from the ihya itself and um he says here that when it's when imam ghazali says that um, know that the blameworthy qualities of the soul are many, then Imam Ujawi tells us there are actually four uh, qualities inherent in a person. And he names them and he says one is the hyena qualities, one is the qualities of a bahima, which is like a, a herd animal, the third is the qualities of shaitan, and the fourth are the angelic qualities. So every human being has in them these particular characteristics or qualities or attributes um, which Imam Ghazali has attributed or described um, in, in uh, animal terms to show that this is the nature of it and that you can see these types of things uh, reflected in some animals um, and they show the lower self of the human being. And he says that these four qualities, they're all contained in the heart. And he says that uh, also that, that that contained in the heart is, and he's going into that in a bit more detail now, is, is like pig qualities and dog qualities and satanic qualities and wisdom. Okay, so he's sort of given this broad outline and now he makes it a little bit more specific. And he says, as for the, the pig type of qualities, and that is shahwa, so that's desire, lowly desire. And dog qualities uh, is like anger. And then the satanic qualities are those that continue to incite a person towards their um, desirous or lowly types of uh, pig sort of patterns. And also the anger that a hyena would have. Okay, so Imam Ghazali explains this in far more detail. And Imam Ujawa here is sort of giving us a summary of it. So that's why it seems... 
um, that there's a lot of information packed in there which is not all going to be explained obviously because it's a summary but he's pointing to the main uh, considerations that Imam Ghazali has put there and he says and the wise person is the one who exemplifies how the intellect is ordered by the heart in order to repel these tricks of the shaitan and these low-life animalistic types of qualities because at the end of the day it's all those qualities those animalistic qualities that actually respond to the tricks of the shaitan they get activated or incited by the shaitan and then a person finds themselves acting on that so um, acting on anger, acting on their lowly passions, which are all contained in there, but what happens is that they respond and they're brought out by the person giving in to that whispering and that incitement of the shaitan to actually go ahead and act on those qualities, which could be latent in a person if they're not acted on, but when shaitan gets involved, then they become activated. So he says that obeying your pig qualities. Um, really brings out these types of behaviors. He says insolence and vileness or foulness, um, wasting things and likewise being stingy with things, showing off, um, dishonoring people, being shameless, being vulgar, uh, having uh, too much greed and gluttony and also envy and putting people down and uh, things like that he says so they're the types of low life passions that a person would have which have been given this description of being pig like uh, when it comes to obeying one's inner dog qualities if you like then this is actually the this is anger and uh, what you get from anger is all sorts of um, explosions and um, sort of outraged type of behavior and obscenity um, also haughtiness and boasting and rebellion uh, arrogance and vanity mocking people disdaining people um, and uh, looking down at creation and also the desire for evil and the desire to oppress and be cruel to others so these are all characteristics that come out of a person's dog-like qualities. Then he says that obeying shaitan means obeying those two things. So giving into that um, low passions and anger is actually obedience to shaitan. And he says what you get from that now are the qualities of scheming and deception, uh, trickery, cunningness, uh, confusing people, uh, being overly daring, sowing dissension amongst people, cheating, swindling, um, bad language, etc. So again, this goes, Imam Ghazali goes into these things in more detail and we're really just sort of listing them here so that we get a general understanding of the types of qualities that are in us and that need to be overcome. So the place where these bad qualities are gathered and the and what is activated in us to make those things come out is the heart and that's really the point here and then uh, Imam Bujahawi puts here that if it is that all these qualities come under the control of the angelic qualities in a human being then they are able to 
then they are able to remain in the heart and the person is able to stay in a good state. And he says the result of that, and this is very important, he says that a person will be continuously acting upon knowledge and wisdom. So this will be what emanates from a person when their heart and those animalistic passions are under the control of their angelic side, of their purified side, and the side that is inspired by divine qualities rather than through base or animalistic qualities. So there's knowledge, there's wisdom, certainty, and the ability for the intellect to encompass the reality of things. And this is extremely important, and I'll explain why in a moment. And also knowing things as they really are. Okay, so I'll just repeat that and make a note of that. Because the time that we are living in is the time for us to really, really get a grasp on these two concepts. That it's the ability to encompass the reality of things, okay, with your intellect and to know things as they really are. Okay, so why is that so important? The reason why is because we live in a time in which the realities of things and the way in which things have been made is being severely challenged to the point where the realities no longer are even considered to be true and real. So we have this thing called postmodernism, which is a particular way of thinking which aims to deconstruct and to bring down the realities of things and to try and turn those realities into whatever a person thinks that they are. So probably the greatest expression of that at the moment would be in terms of gender and in this breakdown of biological gender to the point where in a postmodernist framework people will say oh there is no gender despite there being indeed a biological reality to the fact that there is a male gender and there is a female gender and so we have this concept of gender fluidity whereby people will say well regardless of what it appears that I look like or in fact what my chromosomes or my DNA or anything about my reproductive system or whatever might indicate to that I'm not bound by that or I'm not defined by that and that in fact I can be any gender that I want to be. So this is extremely problematic because it's very confusing and I think people, particularly those in Western countries at the moment, will be feeling that very strongly given that a lot of these ideas are being brought into their mainstream educational systems and they're having to deal with their children um, being confronted with this type of ideology. And so in about the 4th century Hitra, one of the great scholars, um, he wrote uh, a statement here which at the beginning of an Akita book and he said, so the reality of things is thabit, it's stable and it's fixed. And the knowledge of those can be known and is known. Um, and he says, And he says, this is in contradiction to or in opposition to what the Sufusta'iyya, which were the sophists at the time, which was the postmodernists of that time, say about that. And then he says that the three 
means or the three ways that a person understands and knows is either through al-hawas as-salima which is through sense perception khabar um, al-sadiq which is wahi revelation and then through the aql which is the intellect so that's the three ways of knowing and that goes off into a completely different area which is epistemology okay and how knowledge is formed and known and understood from an islamic uh, worldview um, which is a completely different topic but the point is that Imam Ghazali actually brings that into the discussion here on this, the sins or the transgressions of the heart because if a person is not under the control of their intellect and if a person's heart rather is not under the control of the intellect and under the control of the angelic and purified and purifying qualities then immediately their perception of reality is distorted and they will begin to act on those lower passions um, on perversions on distorted behavior and they will go to the vileness and the the lowest and the foulest types of behaviors and ideas and practices and claim that there is a reality in that which we know from our islamic worldview perspective is not the case because we don't see the world like that so we don't need to invert and distort things in order to make a new reality for ourselves our job is to understand the reality the way things have been created and the way in which the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the way in which Allah has made things work, how that works, that's our job to know that and to maintain that for ourselves and for those around us. So that's what's uh, being alluded to here. And very important in our time because our time is so dominated by these falsifying ideologies. Okay, he says that um, the way to purify yourself is very long and it's difficult to understand and for that of course you need to have a sheikh a murabbi someone who has traveled this path of purification themselves and who is able to guide you on that path and then imam ghazali says that the people now have lost the knowledge and the action of this treatment so this treatment of the illnesses of the heart because they have become inattentive to their own souls and because they have busied themselves and have become preoccupied with the adornment of this world. So being inattentive to your own soul means being inattentive to your fitra, okay, to your inbuilt compass and need to worship one God. So when that gets distorted, then that immediately opens the door to this whole range of other issues which we've just mentioned. Um, and it also means that people have become overly concerned with their outer appearance and with the external aspects of life rather than knowing and acting upon the purification and betterment of their hearts and their souls and the um, eternal and universal knowledge that that is part of the reason why we are here which is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to purify ourselves and to walk on the straight path the siratul mustaqim which is our means of attaining that goal so Imam Ghazali really is the master psychologist or the master psychiatrist here and at the moment there is sort of a new field emerging if you like called Islamic psychology which has become quite popular and there are some studies in that at the Cambridge Muslim College and at various places associated with some of the big institutes like Zaytuna in America 
And this is where uh, Muslims now are really going into this whole understanding of the soul and the heart um, and the mind and the body and trying to bring it into this sort of uh, modern understanding that we have of uh, Freudian and Jungian and this type of modern psychology that we have today. So they are doing a lot of work in that regard and if you wanted to uh, look at these types of uh, topics in a modern grounded context then uh, I suggest you go there and uh, see some of the lectures and things that they have been putting forward um, in order to see how this is not just some sort of Sufi talk from the past, but this is actually really, really vitally relevant to our understanding of who we are um, and uh, what we're doing here and how we can better deal with things like mental health issues, depression, um, and a lot of the spiritual crises that people are going through and feeling that they don't have a framework or a proper means in our religion to deal with it when on the contrary they actually have every single thing they need and Imam Ghazali a thousand or odd years ago has spelt all this out for us and now people are bringing that into this modern context that we're in inshallah and showing its universality and its relevance um, and, and actually making it more available. As Imam Ghazali says, he's dealt with it all uh, comprehensively in his book. And here he says, we warn you against three evil qualities of the heart which are predominant among the religious scholars of this time. Uh, so again, remembering that he was writing this for people studying. And he says that so you may be on your guard against them as they are both destructive in themselves and the roots of all other evil dispositions. They are envy, ostentation and conceit. So he only deals with the three uh, in this particular book. Then he says that, strive your utmost to purify your soul from them. Should you conquer them, learn how to guard against the remaining evil qualities discussed in that uh, third section of the here. If you are unable to deal with these three, you will be more unable to guard against the others. He says, do not imagine that you will be able to maintain a sound intention in your pursuit of knowledge while there exists a dot of envy, ostentation or conceit in your heart. Indeed, the Prophet said, There are three destructive vices, obeying an impulse to be stingy, following passion and self-admiration. So Imam al-Jawi here tells us, he tells us about this particular hadith. So we will uh, look at that. And he says that the of the three destructive vices that are mentioned there, the first is shuhun, so this is a type of stinginess or tight-fistedness in a person that they obey, meaning that they don't give and they don't perform what they are required to do of giving um, the rights to those who have a right to what they have or the rights to creation in general. So this is where we get our concept of rights in Islam as well because Every single person has rights that they need to give other people and as well as rights that they are owed. And so if a person is 
uh, overly stingy and they obey that stinginess in themselves, then they won't perform what they are required to do for other people. Um, and meaning here people in their care, like uh, family members, children, um, if it's a man, then his wife, who he's uh, legally obliged to look after financially. And of course, her own wealth is her own. She's not obliged to give him one cent of anything that she has. But he, of course, is obliged to look after her and maintain her. Um, the second is uh, following passion. So here he says that it means to follow what your lower self orders you to do so this word passion can be a little bit difficult for us to comprehend in this sense because we're always told we should find our passion and follow it um, so it can be a bit confusing in that context because it's like well isn't that a good thing to do and of course your passion and following it in the modern sense means you know find the thing that you're good at your skill your knowledge and pursue that so that's a different concept Passion here means your hawa, so this is your whim, your caprice, uh, your impulsiveness, okay? So when you follow what your impulsiveness tells you to do, then you have followed a passion and this is very dangerous because there's usually not a lot of wisdom in impulsion. And people who follow this uh, mantra that you should uh, follow your heart and that's how you'll find your happiness, what that actually means is you should follow your impulse. So if your impulse tells you to go and do this or go and do that and you don't think about it properly and you don't think about what you need to do to fulfill that and who it might hurt and what the consequences of that might be, um, then you're really following a type of rebelliousness and acting in an extremely unwise way. Um, and that all comes from the lower self. So that's um, definitely a destructive vice in a person if they become too impulsive and follow that impulse all the time. Sometimes impulse can be a good thing, um, but usually it's warned against because a person should take care in their decisions. They should uh, seek the opinion of uh, older and wiser people. They should pray istikhara, um, seeking guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, hastiness is always from the shaitan. So if a person acts too quickly or impulsively on something, then they've usually given in to uh, a type of rushing or something, and that comes from shaitan. And then the third one is self-admiration. And that's like when a person um, is so amazed by themselves. And so Imam Ujawi says that this is when a person thinks that what they do is great or fantastic and it's better than what everybody else does um, even if that thing is in and of itself ugly okay but they sort of magroor they're deluded by how great they are and they admire themselves so much for doing something and they can't see the ugliness in it um, and then he says here that there is a, another statement um, where there are three destructive qualities, three salvatory qualities, three expiations, and three uh, levels or ranks, spiritual ranks. And he says, as for the three destructive qualities, and they're the three that we've just mentioned, as for the three salvatory qualities, then um, they are being just and fair in both a state of anger and contentment. So if a person is angry 
then their anger should be for the sake of Allah. And if that's the case, then they will remain just and firm and fair. And if a person is content with something, then also um, they will keep level-headed about something. So this is a salvatory quality. This is something that is good for you, is, is to be level-headed and just in all states. Um, also to be economical and wise um, in both states of poverty and wealth. So for a wealthy person to be generous, but also reasonable and um, in the middle way of spending. And also for a person to fear Allah, both privately and outwardly. So they have an internal fear and also that gets expressed and can be seen upon them from the outside. Um, as for those things which are expiations, then three things are mentioned. So waiting from prayer to prayer. So that means organizing your day around the prayer. Um, it means being connected to your prayer and thinking about when you're going to pray next. Where will you take wudu? Where will you pray? I'm going out now. So how will I get um, my prayers in, especially in the winter time when the days are short and you might need to go out and it's difficult. So being conscious of that. Also perfecting the wudu and performing p completely in very cold weather and uh, cold water. Um, this is also an expiation for sin. And also um, it says here like literally um, moving your feet. So it means walking to or going to Salatul Jama'ah to the congregational prayer. And then as for the raising of ranks, there are three qualities mentioned, feeding people spreading the greeting of peace and praying at night when the people sleep. So this is how you're able to overcome some of those uh, weaker qualities. Then there's a, another hadith here uh, where the Prophet والسلام, was reported to have said, uh, there are three things that my ummah will not be ever free from or safe from. He says envy, suspicion and evil omens. And so he says, will I tell you, he said to the Sahaba, will I tell you about how you can get out of those three states? And they said, yes, Rasulullah, tell us. And he said, if you are suspicious of something, don't investigate. Okay, so don't go into matters that aren't related to you um, or that just might be something from your mind and your imagination. And if it is that you are envious, then don't seek to acquire the thing that you are envious about. Just leave it and try and overcome that envy and we'll go into that now. And then he says, and if it is that you uh, feel that an evil omen has been cast upon you, then keep going and rely on Allah. So that's another angle as well. Okay, so we'll go now to our um, section on envy. We were going to look at envy and ostentation today and the time is going so we'll just look here at the English uh, but please get the slides from the shared Google Drive which is on the telegram group the link for that and inshallah uh, you will be able to read the Arabic there as well okay so envy here so bismillah he says envy stems from miserliness the simple miser is one who is stingy towards others with his possessions okay so we know that and the real Scrooge that's my word <laughs> that's not in the other translations um, the really really stingy Scrooge is the one who is miserly towards the servants of God okay so other Muslims with Allah's favors upon them so they don't want other people to have the blessings 
And the ridiculous thing about it is that they don't want other people to have things which are not even the favors which come from them. They're divine favors. And they're favors that are in the treasury of Allah's omnipotent power. So you don't want people to have something that you have absolutely no control over whether or not they get it and how it's given to them and in what quantity or whatever. So that's being really, really stingy because it's not even yours. And then the envier is pained when Allah Allah, bestows from the treasuries of his power on one of his servants any favor in the form of knowledge or wealth or love for him in people's minds or some piece of good fortune and who therefore desires the removal of that favor from the other person even though he himself will not obtain any advantage from its removal. This is the depth of evil and it is for this reason that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has said envy devours good deeds just as fire devours wood. Okay so um, that's fairly clear and Imam Ujawi just uh, explains that a little bit more. And he says that the simple miser is what is explained there. So you just don't want to give people things that you've got. But the real, real big miser um, is the one who wants to prevent people from getting anything um, that they themselves would stop others from having as well. So just as he doesn't want to give, he doesn't want them to be given. And then also the person who's really envious then in that case becomes severely distressed. So not only do they not want people to get things, but they actually become affected by the giving that people um, are receiving from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we know that Allah is the one who um, gives everything. So this comes from the divine storehouse and this has been written for people. So nobody will get more or less than what has been written for them. And some people will get more. And people think because we're so materialistic that people having more than us is uh, a blessing on them that we didn't receive. But we forget always that the more you have, the more you're going to be taken to account for. And so if you are somebody with vast wealth, you're going to be taken to account for every single part of that, for every dollar, for every item, for every gram of gold. Did you pay zakat on it or not? Were you required to pay zakat? Did you do and honor the trust of that wealth that you were meant to do in this lifetime? And so the more you have, the more difficult it is to make sure that you're not wasteful, to make sure that you are grateful, to make sure that those who have a huck, who have a right to a part of your wealth actually receive that. Were you stingy? Did you give people? So it's actually a huge responsibility and a huge trust. And we just think straight away that more is better, but often more is not better. And often the less you have, the better off you will be in the long run because there'll be less things for you to be taken to account for. So the things that, um, there are four actual types of envy. And so um, Imam Ujawi writes them for us here. And he says that the first, and this is the height of envy, which is mentioned in the text, is for a person to want to have removed from other people any of the blessings that have been bestowed upon them. Um, and this is really the ugliest of all forms. And the second type is that a person uh, wants to have the blessing removed from somebody else and in transferred to them. 
and given to them. So they might look at something and desire to have the nice house that someone's got or uh, someone else's beauty or some type of abundant wealth and they want it removed from that person and given to them and them alone. They don't want anyone else to have it. The third is that a person doesn't want a blessing removed from somebody else, but they want to have the same as it. So the reason for that is competition. And that's not necessarily a blameworthy thing if it is that you're competing for good. So if you are happy for somebody to have that particular blessing um, and you don't want it removed from them, but you would actually like to have the same and that um, inspires you or motivates you to be in competition for them over something to do with the Dean. So if you see someone with a lot of wealth that they're giving in charity and you also wish you could have that wealth and give the same amount of charity in a competitive way, that's not necessarily blameworthy. But when it is blameworthy is when it's for dunya things. So you see someone with a brand new fancy car and you are competing with them and you also want a brand new fancy car. Well, you know, what good is that going to do for you in your dunya or your akhira? So that's when that competition becomes blameworthy. And then the fourth is uh, when you when you want the same for that person um and specifically if you so this goes into the third one as well um what we've just seen where you specifically want to have what they've got but only in terms of two aspects and that is in terms of knowledge that you can do good with and also money that you can do good with so there's a little bit of a overlap there um and then the hadith says that um, envy eats good deeds like fire eats wood so a person is being really ignorant if they give in to their envy why because they have let their level of ignorance and stupidity um, put the wrong thing in the wrong place so instead of being glad for what people have then they have allowed their heart to be overtaken by a feeling of envy and uh, and either competition for that thing or actually wanting the removal of that blessing from somebody and this is a wrong thing to do with your heart this is a wrong type of desire because it will only lead you to illness and it will only lead you to torment which is what um, Imam Ghazali says here he says the envious person suffers punishment and is granted no mercy he is in continual torment because the world never lacks contemporaries and acquaintances upon whom God has bestowed his favor in the form of knowledge, wealth or influence. Thus he continually suffers in this world until his death and the punishment of the hereafter is greater and more severe. So he says indeed a person does not arrive at true faith as long as he does not love for his brother and the rest of the Muslims what he loves for himself. Indeed, he must participate with them in times of ease and difficulty. Muslims are like a single building, one part of which supports the other. That's from a hadith. They are like a single body. If one limb suffers, the rest of the body suffers too. That's another hadith. So he says that should you not find that this is the case in your heart, um, that you actually love for others what you love for yourself, then it's more important for you to be occupied with seeking deliverance from destruction 
than to be occupied with the less commonly required details of jurisprudence and the sciences of case law. So again, referring to students of knowledge there who might busy themselves so much with the intricacies and particularities of obscure points of law, but they're really overlooking their main work, which is to purify their heart of being envious towards their fellow Muslims. So Imam Jawi also tells us that, that there are five things that envy leads to as well or incites in a person. Um, and these are the things that we need to overcome. He says the first of those is that being envious corrupts a person's obedience and worship. So when you are consumed with envy and when you are consumed with uh, jealousy and bitterness and, and looking at other people with this eye all the time, of anger and resentment towards them, then it's very difficult for you to have your faith firmly established in your heart and acting in a good way because part of our faith, a core part of our faith, is understanding that everything has been written and that we get what has been written for us and not one little bit more or less, that our number of breaths are written and we will only breathe what has been written for us to breathe. We will only eat what has been written for us to eat etc. So when a person is consumed by this fire and rage of envy, then it's very difficult for their worship to be sound and it will um, obviously become corrupted. Uh, the second is that it incites to acts of disobedience and evil because now you start to plot and scheme and think, well, how can I get that for myself? How can I have it removed from somebody else? Or how can I get that thing for myself? So now you become so consumed and focused with the dunya and material things and how you're going to acquire uh, those blessings for yourself. The third is that you, uh, you suffer from unnecessary exhaustion and grief, but without any benefit. So what could be worse than that? Where you're constantly troubled and tired from worrying about these things. So you find that often with women when it comes to houses and interior decorating and teacups and whatever else. So people will go to someone's uh, house for an afternoon tea and they'll see they have a beautiful set of uh, cups and sauces and whatever else and oh yes we got those when we last traveled in Turkey or whatever so people like to boast about what they got and where oh yes we so we love having Turkish teacups or you know the type of talk that goes on so someone will boast about what they've got the flame of envy will be ignited in someone's heart um, and so they will start to be upset and then they go home, they complain to their husband or how come, you know, we never go on holidays. And so all these things and this discontentment starts to um, grow and bubble up inside people over the smallest and pettiest of things. And we have to remember that all these things that we have in terms of implements and utensils, whether it be something as, as petty as teacups or something as necessary as a car or a house, that they have been given to us in submission and subservience to us. But the problem is that we make ourselves subservient to them. So we make ourselves become, um, we lower ourselves to, to thinking that we need to acquire the stuff of this world in order to say something about ourselves and make a statement and to raise and elevate um, the way that people see us. But in reality, it's just a container for holding a liquid or it's just a box on a set of wheels with an engine 
that whether or not it's a fancy car, it does the same thing. And uh, I once said that to my son. I said, uh, you know, trying to tell him not to be so fascinated with fancy cars. I said, look, it doesn't matter what you're in, whether it be a Lamborghini or anything. You know, at the end of the day, it's just a box going to get you from A to B. You're sitting in the same rain. You're sitting in the same heat. You're sitting in the same traffic. And he says, yes, but mum, you don't understand. He says, you do all that, but in style. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I get it now. You can either do the same thing in style or not, right? So that's where we are. But anyway, the point is that this is things that Allah has, has made to serve us, yet we turn the whole equation upside down and think that somehow we have to serve those implements and objects which we don't the fourth is that envy stops you from seeing um, the the rules or the wisdom um, that is in the rulings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so we might start to think oh you know I, I, I don't like that I think that I shouldn't um, be restricted by that because of course the first thing that people who have a distorted view of the sharia of the sacred law is that somehow it's restrictive Okay, this is the first fault in thinking. The first blindness is that somehow the Sharia stops you. And this, of course, is not the correct way of understanding it because the things that the Sharia prohibits are things that actually stop you from falling into harm. Um, and so if a person has a distorted view, they're not going to understand that in its proper way that it should be understood. Um, and also these are the things that, uh, you know, a person's ability to really have proper insight is impeded because their heart is so consumed with this raging type of envy. And then the fifth one is that it actually prevents you from achieving what you need to achieve in your life. And what do we need to achieve? We need to achieve um, and establish our faith and we need to achieve and establish our servanthood and our worship and our understanding a deep understanding of what we are doing here and how to live properly in this world in a proper way in harmony in a way that is in balance and in a way that is most pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so if at any moment we were to move on into the next realm then we would do so in a peaceful way with complete submission and knowing inshallah that we had indeed um, tried our very best and, and confident and knowing with yaqeen and certainty that the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is greater than any of our shortcomings. However, we don't depend on that, but we uh, strive to try and purify ourselves and act on the knowledge that we have with sincerity. And inshallah, that's part, a very core part of our journey here. So just to finish up this section then, uh, looking at these last two hadith so um, a Muslim should never feel that they are separate from others so when Muslims go through ease and difficulty we go through all those things together and look how at the moment we're all going through this COVID crisis and these lockdowns and illnesses and things like that nobody can escape that um, and, and other times there's a great ease and look at Hajj, the whole Ummah goes through Hajj, those who actually go for it and those who stay at home. But we all experience that together because this is a major part of our lived experiences as Muslims. Likewise, Ramadan. Um, and when there is a part of our Ummah that is aching through warfare or hunger or any type of distress, we all feel that for each other. So the problem with envy 
is that it makes you think that somehow you're separate from other people or that somehow you deserve more or that you should have more and so your connectedness to people becomes distorted because you've become consumed with a selfishness and with a seeking of things material things uh, which are obviously not going to benefit you but ultimately cut you off from other people because you have decided to separate yourself from them okay and so finally here we were going to go on to uh ostentation today but the time has finished so inshallah we will do that next time so then uh, imam ghazali says that if you can't find uh, a love in your heart for other muslims and uh, there's a comment here that imam ujawi puts in there and he says that love is actually of three types and there's the type of love and veneration that you have for people that you would have, for example, for your parents. Um, there is a compassion and a mercy that you would have, uh, for example, towards a child. And there is a, uh, a shared love that you have for the rest of people and the rest of creation. And of course, the chapter on love in the Ihya is uh, very expansive. So. This is just a short reminder that love is not one thing, but it manifests differently and that there is definitely a love, a, a common love that all Muslims share amongst each other. Um, and uh, sometimes that doesn't appear, but it's something that we should definitely work on. Um, then finally, he says that if you can't find this love, as we've said, then busy yourself with trying to purify your heart from the destructive qualities that obscure that in you. Um, and he says, instead of uh, looking into um, details and things that really won't benefit you when it comes to your everyday interaction with people um, and how you are in the world, the state that you're in in the world, Okay, so that's the end of that section, um, inshallah. And before we go on to questions, I just uh, wanted to mention that today, inshallah, is the first of Rabi'ul Awwal, which is the month that the Prophet wasallam was born in. And uh, this is our opportunity, inshallah, to uh, correct um, ourselves when it comes to the Sunnah. Um, and to enable ourselves to think about how he lived. So we think first of all about his story, about his seerah, alayhi salatu wasalam, that of himself, his family, and his companions, and his offspring. Uh, and this is really our opportunity to read that story, and it's recommended to read it at least once um, completely, whether that be at a level that's good for your children or for you to take a, a book with more detail than to really... Um, absorb yourself in his uh, prophetic biography in the seerah of the Prophet and to think about and to correct ourselves and rectify ourselves in our practice of his sunnah because the way that we keep his company is through first of all knowing him through reading about him and loving him and uh, knowing him and then by following him so this is sort of the three steps that are required and a good practice also to engage in is the reading of a molid, uh, well, at least once a week, uh, if not more than that. And a good practice is to try and read it in every room of your house, if possible, throughout the month. Um, and if you can't do that, then a play a recording of it. Um, sit down with a recording, with a gathering. There's many, many things available. 
uh, with the Burda, with the Maulid, uh, with poetry of praise, inshallah, and try and use the month to connect with him on a deeper level, inshallah, um, and also through your outer practice and emulation of him. So this is our opportunity, and inshallah, let's uh, make the most of it and uh, be very grateful because, of course, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't know anything. We wouldn't know Allah. We wouldn't know how we were meant to be. We wouldn't understand, and we would just be uh, ignorant people in the dark and like those animals that Imam Ghazali explained for us at the beginning, um, acting like pigs and dogs and hyenas and um, responding to the shaitan. So it's only through him, through his... Uh, magnificence through his uh, purity and through him that we know and understand so this month is an opportunity for us to venerate him and to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the way that the Prophet taught us to worship Allah and inshallah a means for us to get closer inshallah ta'ala so we will uh, finish up uh, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us in this month inshallah uh, by knowing him, loving him and following him inshallah we will seek to have a strong connection to the Prophet in all our uh, states and all our affairs inshallah and we ask Allah to give us the ability uh, and the insight uh, to see the negative aspects of ourselves to see the illnesses in our heart and to give us the himma the motivation and the ambition uh, to want to overcome that and to be the best people we can be inshallah so we um, ask Allah to raise the rank of Imam Ghazali and Imam Jawi and all those who've given khidmat to this knowledge and also those today inshallah who we are able to benefit from um, and so we, we seek good for all Muslims, inshallah, and we uh, also seek the, the cure for our envy, which I didn't mention, actually, I forgot, and I'll just mention it now, that the, the cure for us um, to get rid of this envy and jealousy that we might have towards others and the blessings that they have is to make dua for them and to seek more for them. And it's extremely bitter, Okay, very, very bitter that you should think, oh, somebody has this thing that I so desperately want or I don't want them to have it and I want it. But if you make sincere dua that Allah should give them more than what they have, make them more beautiful, give them more wealth, um, give them more of the things that make them happy, then inshallah, that's how you will put that burning fire in your heart, of, that fire of jealousy out. That's how you will extinguish it. And so ask Allah to give them more and to purify you, inshallah. And even though it's so bitter and it tastes like poison, it's actually the most effective way of overcoming that evil quality. Um, so inshallah, we ask Allah to give us the strength to see our weaknesses and overcome them and to be glad for everything that Allah has given other people and that it remain with them and that we should be focused on what we have and how we are going to use those things and inshallah be uh, able to be taken to account for them in the best of ways and to be responsible for what we have and to know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has only given us what he knows is the best for us inshallah. So please forgive my shortcomings and inshallah thank you so much for joining us today and I uh, hope inshallah to join with you again next week inshallah. Wa ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. 
ila hadratu nabi muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.